welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, well, the stock market recovering a little bit, probably not enough to offset yesterday's losses. I'm going to restart where I was from yesterday because it's, it really actually is important to reiterate this. Events do change things. And for all of the wind of the Democrats' backs narratives we've had, it looks like it's an economic hurricane that's blowing their ships and probably going to sink them. Yesterday was not good for a variety of reasons. You had uh, the worst stock market dip crash, if you will, since July of 2020. It was down over 1,200, 1,300 points. And there was a wild event at the White House where they celebrated the Inflation Reduction Act and literally both CNN and Fox News had split screens where you saw Joe Biden and the Democrats celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act while the markets were crashing. Here's Peter Ducey on Fox News this morning. The, the inflation report being bad in the morning did not stop the party about inflation in the afternoon. Today offers proof that the soul of America is vibrant, the future of America is bright, and the promise of America is real. It is real. It is real. Well, this is real. Prices are 8.3% higher than this time last year, and that includes essentials like groceries up 13.5% since August 2021, and energy bills up 15.8% since August 2021. The stock market did not react well with the Dow shaving off 1,276 points in a day. I mean, the split screen was amazing. In fact, uh, all of the networks, MSNBC and CNN included, uh, walked away from coverage of the Biden White House. To some degree, they were doing a favor because of how tone deaf it was. And then after the event was over, Joe Biden assembled the presidential motorcade, went to Andrews Air Force Base, got on Air Force One, the 757 version, not the 747 version, flew to Delaware, cast a ballot in an election where there were no contested, seriously contested races, had a motorcade in Delaware, local police escort, cast his ballot, turned around and came home. As opposed to casting an absentee ballot or showing up early this past weekend when they were already in Delaware, wasting taxpayer resources to go vote in, in uh, unexciting, non-contested elections in Delaware when he could have cast an absentee ballot and saved a little bit of money and he did so just after this. But I believe Republicans that could have and should have joined us on this bill as well. After all, this bill cut costs for families, help reduce inflation at the kitchen table, because that's what they look at, how much of their monthly bills and how much do they have to pay out for their necessities. And it gave them just a little more breathing room, as my dad would say. This bill will lower the deficit, this bill alone, it's going to lower the deficit by $300 billion over the next decade because it's going to charge, pay less for prescription drugs. And that's on top of the $350 billion we reduced the deficit my first year, $350 billion reduction. 
And for this, for this fiscal year, a trillion five hundred billion dollar reduction in the deficit. So I don't want to hear it anymore about big spending Democrats. We spend, but we pay, ladies and gentlemen. We spend, but we pay, ladies and gentlemen, he said before assembling two motorcades, police escort, security, and a jet to fly to Delaware to cast a ballot he could have cast this past weekend or done so by absentee. Really? Really? This isn't a fiscally conservative White House, and so much of their their pay-fors are actually ephemeral, ephemeral smoke and mirrors within the budget. This is a turning point, I think, and I say turning point deliberately because so often during Donald Trump's presidency, the media said, turning point, turning point, it's a turning point, beginning of the end. This is actually, I think, one. Uh, in Pennsylvania with the Fetterman-Oz race, there's polling out today that the number one through five issues, issue one, issue two, issue three, issue four, issue five, they're all economic related. It's jobs, it's the economy, it's the cost of living, it's inflation, it's groceries. And the Democrats are celebrating what they call the Inflation Reduction Act, which when they passed it, they claimed it was actually a climate change bill. Now, there's juxtaposition here because I want to play you two pieces of audio. This is Corrine Jean-Pierre, uh, the White House press secretary, not the brightest star in the sky. Overall, uh, prices have been essentially flat in our country these these last two months. Uh, flat, uh, but up 8.3% from last year and still up from last month. Ross Sorkin, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin on CNBC reviewing the data. And I'm across, I was like, wait a second. Gas prices are way down. Yep. Interest rates are up. Like, I know it slowed a little bit, but this seems like still hot. Really, it's a hot number. Uh, and obviously, the markets agree. I mean, futures down about 2%, right? Uh, Joe, if you are the White House this morning, if you're the Federal Reserve this morning, if you're an American this morning, these are not good numbers at all. No. You are looking at the stock market down uh, over 500 points on the Dow right now. So we are looking at uh, a little under, a little over, rather, uh, 2% down. And what's so interesting is you just said it. You know, everybody goes to the gas pump, you see the signs, and those signs were for inflation. I mean, that was actually a billboard for inflation for a very long time, but those prices are now down about 26%. But there's almost a silent inflation going on, or at least one that's not as visible to folks, which is to say that what we actually saw was that inflation has continued or at least persisted, uh, if you will. In large part, we're seeing it somewhat in food, but you're definitely seeing it in healthcare, and you're seeing it in shelter. Yeah, you're seeing it in shelter. You're seeing it in food. One last clip. This is uh, Stephanie Rule, MSNBC, serves frequently as an apologist for this White House. Inflation, the thought that things are going to go down quickly, it ain't happening. You said it. Rent is high. Health care costs are high. Energy costs are high. And we talk about inflation as it relates to going to the grocery store. And for you and me, every time we go in there to get our milks, egg, butter, cereal, everything is still very expensive. So for families, the everyday things we're buying still cost a lot. Yes. And the White House decided to celebrate the legislation. The White House decided to celebrate what they had called a climate change bill. I, you know, this is one of those moments I told you so. 
I wish I did a better, you know, we have a file we keep now where I say these things and, and I can flag them so we can bring them back up. And I don't think I did this one, but I told you guys this was going to come back to bite the Democrats when they were very open and honest about it after passing the Inflation Reduction Act, that what they were really passing was a climate change bill, not an Inflation Reduction Act, that even their own economists said it wasn't going to reduce inflation very much. Given the offsets and the spending, it wasn't going to help very much, and it's not helping very much. The Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates, probably three-quarters of a point. The stock market is a little bit skittish. They might raise it a full percentage point. First time in modern history the Fed would have done so. I don't think they're going to do that because I think it would cause too much market chaos, but three-quarters of a point. There are more problems with this than uh, may be adjusted. Oh, wait, look at this. Look at this. My brilliant producer tells me in the I was right file, we actually, we've got this. This is me. My goodness, I'm a genius, and I don't even realize it sometimes. <laughs> this is me from August 8th of 2022. In about a month, we're going to have headlines that the Democrats are back to having a messaging problem because they passed their uh, trump Schaefer Inflation Reduction Act and everybody's talking about it as a climate bill. It's clearly, they did so much, this is what the media will say, they did so much wonderful stuff in this piece of legislation, they're having a hard time messaging the legislation because it just does so much wonderful good stuff and it does it for climate and for healthcare and, and raises taxes on corporations and, and inflation. They're not going to be able to sell it. And they will blame the messaging. They will say it just did so much, it was so good, it was so awesome that they don't know how to message it. That's what they're going to get. That was one. Wait, there's more. Again, I said this August 8th. We're going to find out inf about inflation very shortly. And the guess right now on Wall Street is that inflation will not rise in the next round as high as it has been. It'll still be going up 3 or 4%, but not 8 or 9%. So the rate of growth will have slowed even though it's still increasing. And the Democrats will say this legislation is what caused it. That even though the legislation only passed a few days before the data came out, people knew it was going to pass. Inflation itself intuited that this legislation would pass. Therefore, inflation itself said, ah, gotta slow down now. The Democrats are coming. They got me. Of course, if the number comes out, and it's very high, higher than what Wall Street expects, the Democrats will say, well, we only just passed the law. It hasn't had time to kick in yet. Just, just give it a little longer. Give it a little longer. They're playing an unfalsifiable game. And in fact, last month, if you will recall, the Biden White House said there was zero inflation, zero inflation for July. A few days after the legislation passed, they said there was zero inflation, and they used the Inflation Reduction Act to take credit for it. And what have they done yesterday as the markets plunged and in inflation turned out to be higher than everyone expected? They actually went from a month ago saying that inflation was zero because they passed the law to now saying, oh, it, 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 it had that time to take effect. The spending, it's too soon. 
You can't blame the, the law. The law was the best we could do. Joe Manchin said that on TV yesterday. Unfalsifiable. They're having it both ways. The problem is that a month ago, they took credit for no inflation because of the legislation. And now a month later, they said, ah, well, no, hadn't had time to kick in. Really? Larry Summers is the guy they're all paying attention to. I want to read you his Twitter thread because it's really significant, actually, and he needles the White House staff. The CPI report confirms the U.S. has a serious inflation problem. Core inflation is higher this month than for the quarter, higher this quarter than last quarter, higher this half of the year than the previous one, and higher last year than the previous one. Median inflation used to be a favorite indicator for team transitory. This month, it was its highest reading ever. It is highly implausible that inflation will fall to 2% without unemployment exceeding 4.5%. Yet this is the most pessimistic view among 19 members of the Federal Open Markets Committee. Dangerous groupthink with core inflation. Pay attention to this one. (coughs) Clear my voice. Make it clear for you. With core inflation running above 7% this month and likely given rent behavior to remain elevated. I fear it is unlikely that a peak Fed funds rate around 4% will be enough to restore 2% inflation. The Fed raising rates to 4% won't be enough to get inflation back to 2%. And the problem here is another thing. If they get inflation back to 2%, it's still going up. It's not like it will have declined and reset and brought prices back down. Prices just won't rise as fast. The hope is that salaries will rise more than inflation to catch up to it. But if you trigger massive unemployment in doing so, those people don't have incomes to rise to match inflation because they're unemployed. This is Joe Biden's economy. Events change things. Events change things. And yesterday's events on Wall Street fundamentally changed the next two months in the election and not in the Democrats' favor. The phone number here, 877-973-7425, if you want to be on the program. Uh, Real quick here, just a a brief note. Um, Ken Starr died. Um, he best is, is known best for the um, Whitewater investigation into Bill Clinton and the impeachment that led up to it. He was also on President Trump's impeachment team uh, a while back. He's been in, in the hospital for the last number of months, four months or so. I saw him not too long before he went in the hospital. I did not know Ken or, or his wife well. Uh, we hung out several times. We actually got to know each other on a cruise back at the end of 2016. Um, we, we hit it off. We actually wound up sitting at a table together on this cruise I was on. I've never been on a cruise before or since. Uh, but I was asked to speak at, a, at an event. It was a political event after the 2016 election where most of the people on the cruise did not actually think that uh, Trump would win, and he did. I found the whole thing rather hilarious. Um, his wife was not a big fan, was a fan and disappointed, I should say, because I wasn't a Trump supporter. He thought the whole thing was hilarious. We wound up hanging out and having a good time uh, and have subsequently had had several chats with him. He, I'd actually wanted him to come on the show to talk about his book, but he got uh, ill 
Um, I guess the last time we spent any good amount of time together was last year, but saw him a little bit earlier this year. Uh, he is just a wonderful, delightful human being, a very, very happy warrior, a wonderful family man, and he will definitely be missed. Um, he was one of the great conservative intellectuals, had been a federal judge, left it, uh, became the president of Baylor, left on, under a, a, a cloud there, um, but decided not to drag out his time there and just up and left. He is a, we, we have several mutual really good friends. And then he and I had a, a friendly acquaintance. I wouldn't call him a friend, but definitely a friendly acquaintance. And he is definitely going to be missed. Um, just, just a luminary within conservative circles. Not only that, but people don't appreciate behind the scenes that uh, despite his reputation as the guy who went after Bill Clinton, Ken Starr was one of those people who cultivated friendships across the political spectrum. He was not a dogmatic conservative ideologue who just couldn't uh, have uh, relationships with people on the other side of the aisle. He was actually friends with a lot of people. And the way the media portrayed him the character assassination of Ken Starr was always terrible, disappointing, and never actually portrayed who the man was. A deeply caring, deeply nice, uh, just deeply wonderful, warm person who will be dearly missed by a lot of us in the conservative movement and the conservative legal community. Uh, he helped inspire, uh, foster, and guide a number of prominent Republican lawyers on their career paths. And I just wanted to pause here and and thank his family for sharing him with us and uh, offering prayers for them and their loss. Uh, it's actually a sad loss here. Judge Ken Starr uh, dead uh, yesterday. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. How's about we go to some phones? Let's go to Mitch. You're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, so question or comment or whatever it is. Um, what should the public be more concerned about? Should the public be more concerned about the names that are on the Epstein list, or should we be more concerned with who in the world is blocking us from seeing that list? <laughs> um, uh, behold the healing power of and, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's it's the exact same people blocking it as are on the list. Uh, you know, right. it, it's it's funny that you bring this up because this falls out of out of ordinary conversation all the time. I will tell you this. I talked to one of the prominent reporters in the nation who actually has investigated this. And he, uh, it's amazing how often Bill Gates, his name comes up in these conversations with reporters. Um, And the concern that he raises is that you are dealing with deep pocketed billionaires and any media organization that says it's going to go up against these guys and expose the lists uh, has to be prepared for bankruptcy and annihilation to do so. And most of them are not. Um, I, I, you know, I'll be honest with you here. Um, I, I really do think at some point this stuff does get exposed and I think it should. I think what yes. we're going to find is there are a lot of rich and powerful people and some people in the government, uh, a lot of people out of the government who were friends with Jeffrey Epstein who more likely than not did stuff. When you read the stories, this is what the reporter was telling me. When you read stories about Jeffrey Epstein, uh, every single story, he's with young girls. You cannot have hung out with Jeffrey Epstein (laughs) in any way, shape, or form without seeing him with young underage girls. 
And if right. you didn't raise questions or get creeped out, I mean, Gates's wife says she was thoroughly creeped out by the guy. Um, yeah. Clearly, you're 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 willfully ignoring it when he's around all these underage girls. In fact, this reporter says if you went to his apartment in New York, that's now been sold. Um, there there were girls all over the place, and he treated them all terribly. It was all very weird. Um, it, it's not going to surprise me when this stuff comes up. Now, I, I'll leave you there, Mitch. I appreciate the phone call. I will say two more things on this subject. I'm a big believer that your sins eventually find you out. But also, I'm one of those people who takes comfort in the doctrine of hell. There will be some people, because of their wealth and status in this world, avoid our justice system. They will not ultimately avoid justice. And that actually gives me a lot of comfort um, when when the wicked get away with as much as they do and then perish. They still must face justice. They cannot abscond into eternity without facing it. Um, and that gives me uh, comfort because there are all sorts of bad people in this world who will get away with a lot of stuff here but won't ultimately get away with it. I continue, however, to be amazed at what seems to be the lack of curiosity uh, there was a several reporter, an NPR reporter who's investigated this stuff, and he had a very long Twitter thread. And in the Twitter thread, he commented how appalling it is that major institutions around the world continually rehabilitate people like Bill Gates, give him a pass, when clearly there was enough there that even his wife spoke out about his ties to Jeffrey Epstein. There, there, was, there was enough of something going on there. And he says he's he's very, very concerned that there are lots of very rich people out there who they've paid off a lot of the girls. So the girls are under non-disclosure agreements and they have essentially sent cease and desist orders to media outlets to not cover the information. It is remarkable that Epstein hung out with the people he hung out with, surrounded himself with young girls, has given a pass. It's also very remarkable when you think about Ghislaine, what's her name, Maxwell or whatever, who is in jail for apparently having done nothing. I mean, if if she actually was trafficking girls, there has to be a to whom. To whom did she traffic girls? If you can't name those names, then why is she in prison? Hmm? Just a question. Just a question. Just asking questions, as the left would say. Just asking questions. It is something. Now we must move on to something else. One of the remarkable stories of the day. Reality seems to be dawning on Tom Friedman. Friedman is the uh, China-infatuated opinion columnist at the New York Times, where all things seem to be new and shiny every day until he himself articulates something in his mind. It has not occurred. It seems uh, I I've always just um, been amazed with the guy. I was actually on a train with him, had a, had a got to witness uh, Tom Friedman on a train one time and his very elite entitled mentality as he yelled at the, the porter on the train, taking his stuff away and actually did even on the train. Then if I recall, right. Um, blasted them that what the, his treatment, it would never happen in China like that. It was the most bizarre thing. Literally sitting diagonally from him on the Acela Express in first class, and he had that blow up. I, it was just, I was I was stunned by the, by the man uh, and his behavior towards a, a guy working on a train. But nonetheless, Tom Friedman, 
He has this to say. While some Russian soldiers in Ukraine are voting with their feet against Vladimir Putin's shameful war, their hasty retreat doesn't mean that Putin is surrendering. Last week, in fact, he opened a whole new front on energy. Putin thinks he's found a cold war that he can win. He's going to try to literally freeze the European Union this winter by choking off supplies of Russian gas and oil to pressure the EU into abandoning Ukraine. Putin's Kremlin predecessors used frigid winters to defeat Napoleon and Hitler, and Putin clearly thinks it's his ace in the hole to defeat Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, who told his people last week, quote, Russia is doing everything in 90 days of the winter to break the resistance of Ukraine, the resistance of Europe, and the resistance of the world. I wish I could say for certain that Putin will fail, that the Americans will outpace him, and I wish I could write that Putin will regret his tactics because they will eventually transform Russia from the energy czar of Europe to an energy colony of China, where Putin is now selling a lot of his oil at a deep discount to overcome the loss of Western markets. Yes, I wish I could write all those things, but I can't, not unless the U.S. and its Western allies stop living in, pay attention to this, green fantasy world that says we can go from dirty fossil fuels to clean renewable energy just by flipping a switch. I wish that were possible. This column has been devoted for 27 years to advocating clean energy and mitigating climate change. I'm still all in, all in on those ends, but you can't will the ends unless you've also willed the means and we demonstrably have not done that. Despite all the wind and solar investments in the past five years, fossil fuels, oil, gas, and coal still account for 82% of total world primary energy use in 2021, required for things like heating, transportation, and electricity generation, down only three percentage points in those five years. In America alone in 2021, about 61% of electricity generation was from fossil fuels, primarily coal and natural gas, while about 19% was from nuclear energy and about 20% was from renewables. In a world of growing energy-hungry middle classes in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, it takes huge amounts of clean energy to make even a small dit in our energy mix. It's not a matter of flipping a switch. We have a long transition ahead, and we will make it only if we urgently embrace smart, pragmatic thinking on energy policy, which in turn will lead to greater climate security and economic security. He goes on from there. He points out energy bills are up 400% in some European countries. Some European middle-class families are sinking to poverty because of their energy bills, because the Europeans decided to outsource their energy dependence to Vladimir Putin, who is now taking advantage of it. This is staggeringly absurd, people, that this is where we are. I am, I'm shocked that Tom Friedman is going there, but he is. You know, it was someone else who's not going where the left wants them to go and is now in hot water is Toyota. Toyota is the world's largest automaker. When Toyota released the Prius vehicle, it was heralded by environmentalists as a great step forward in the fight against climate change. And Toyota has decided it's not gonna go all in on battery powered vehicles. They're going to produce 3.5 million electric vehicles by 2030, more than a third of its current sales, but rival automakers have decided they're gonna go all in. They're gonna go 100% electric. And now the environmentalists are furious with them. 
Catherine Garcia, the director of the Sierra Club's Clean Transportation for All campaign, wrote, the fact is a hybrid today is not green technology. The Prius hybrid runs on a pollution-emitting combustion engine found in any gas-powered car. And now Greenpeace has ranked Toyota at the bottom of 10 automakers' decarbonization efforts. So why is Toyota doing this? Gil Pratt, their chief scientist and CEO of the Toyota Research Institute, says we want to provide each person with a way that they can contribute the most to solving climate change. And we know that answer is not to treat everybody the same way. The fact is Toyota is making the bet that in the free marketplace, a whole lot of people are going to switch to them when Ford and General General Motors have become completely electric. And in that situation, with that, I think Toyota wins. I mean, let's be honest here. Do you want the Ford F-150 electric that takes 12 hours to charge or the Toyota Tundra that takes five minutes to fill up with gas? Which one do you want? Which one do you prefer? Now, you can say, as some people do, well, really, you don't need that truck. You piddle around. You don't drive much. But what if you do? What if you're a contractor going out working on home sites and stuff? My buddy Vince is a home builder in Atlanta. Drives from job site to job site. He's got a got a great business building houses. Um, I can't imagine him wanting to be in the electric vehicle that he's going to have to stop and, and wait and wait and wait to charge when he's going job site to job site to job site through the day, making sure it works on time, making haul in materials back and forth in the bed of the pickup truck. I, I have a hard time believing Uh, He's got, what, an F-250 right now. I I don't think he's going to want to switch to the electric vehicle. And it's not just him. It's a lot of other people. And the thing that infuriates me about the environmentalist movement right now and so much of progressives when it comes to electric vehicles is you may decide it's a good choice for you. And I'm okay with you deciding it's a good choice for you. If I had the money, I probably would get a Tesla to drive back and forth to the office and save on gas. It would work for me. There's a charger in the building while I'm on radio. I charge the car. I come home. It would work. But it's your choice. So many people on the left think the only choice you can make is whether or not to kill a kid and everything else should be by government fiat. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It should be your choice. If you want an electric vehicle, God bless you. Go get one. If I had the money, I probably would right now. It would save me some money in the long run. But I don't have the immediate capital to go out and buy a Tesla. And a lot of people don't want them. A lot of people don't have the money to buy them. And a lot of money and a lot of people are putting their money into their gas tank right now. And gas is still higher than it was when Donald Trump was president. The fact that so much of the government of the left thinks they can bully you into making a decision that you don't think benefits you is the real problem with the environmentalist movement and the move to electric vehicles. And Toyota, always one of the smarter auto manufacturers out there, has figured this out. And they realize that there's going to be a strong demand still for fossil fuel burning vehicles in a decade when you can't find one from GM or Ford and your only alternative is going to be with Toyota. And that's where I'll I'll be because they make fantastic vehicles. I still miss my 4Runner, but I had to get a bigger car because, well, we're not light packers and we have a dog in our house. So I love my Denali. Don't get me wrong. I love my Denali. But if GM goes full electric, going to have problems because that's our road trip vehicle and I don't want to wait around in the pouring rain for 30 minutes to an hour while a battery charges when I could just fill up with gas. Now, Jim, where are we headed? Eden Pure. Ah, that's right. The Eden Pure thunderstorm 
Speaking of saving money, you can get three of them for less than $200 right now if you go to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. So what is the Eden Pure? You know, I've talked about it as an air purifier, and the cool thing is it's filterless, so you just wipe it out. It's got metal plates that have a static charge that attract dust and pollen, viruses, bacteria. But here's why I use it and why the thing shines. It's an odor eater. It wipes out odors. It's an, It eliminates the odors. It doesn't mask them. So, for example, uh, I keep one in my suitcase if I'm traveling. If i got a hotel room and it's musty smelling or a rental car that stinks because someone's been smoking in it or there are pet odors, Eden Pure takes care of it. Litter box odors wipes out litter box odors. Smoke odors wipes them out. Fry odors in the kitchen if I have to fry inside because it's raining outside wipes out those odors. You can get three of these for less than $200. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You'll get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200. You get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. want to go to the phones here. Susan, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I want to bring up about all the trucks that Biden's going to, and SUVs that Biden's going to be touting at the auto show today is you know, the prices on those things. Um, the cheapest one I looked up was sixty nine nine. And the most expensive was like $112,000 for Chevys or Fords or Hummers or Teslas, the ones I looked up. So when those go to the used market eventually, though, I mean, the prices are probably still going to be pretty high. And and people who maybe really need a truck for war, you know construction or something like that, they're not going to be able to even afford them on the used market. And they might, the problem is too, is that people will get rid of them when they realize it needs new batteries. So if you buy a used electric vehicle, you're really, it's really a crapshoot as to, well, I wonder if the batteries are, you know, ready to go on it. And it's going to cost me $10,000 for new batteries. Yeah, it's look, a, a I, I mean, electric th- vehicles this is are out of reach. This is one of the concerns here in the used market is once you have to replace the batteries, it's it's a thousands of dollar expense to replace those yeah. batteries. They hold up over time. Uh, you know, what's so interesting is I saw some video of Biden at the car show earlier and he got into a Corvette, turned it on and revved up the engine and his eyes got real big at the sound of it. Of course, it was a gas powered Corvette. It sure. wasn't an electric. Yeah, no, one, vroom, vroom. Yes, the, no <laughs> vroom vroom on, on the electric cars. Just <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah. I mean, who, who's going to buy a Dodge Challenger if it doesn't have it? Have the? I mean, that's that's half of of make what makes makes it attractive to to these guys that buy them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I I don't see it now. It, maybe they'll go with the the ludicrous speed motor, whatever it is from from Tesla. Um, but it, it's I, I I got a hard time on this one. Um, the reality is in American car culture. If you are a well-to-do white person, uh, you may love your battery-powered car. I am a well-to-do white person and wouldn't mind having one for the commute. But there are a great many people who can't afford them. And, you know, the other thing, with, with uh, particularly with Tesla, your, your car gets injured in a fender bender. The expense of fixing a Tesla in particular is obscene. And the wait time is even more obscene. They're just not practical for a lot of people. And while, again, if I could get one, I would. And I don't, I, I, God bless you if you have one. I think there's a level of practicing basic empathy 
for people in circumstances not our own who are in the middle class and can't afford to get a battery-powered car, even with the tax credit incentives from the federal government. They're in the gas-used car market because those are the cheapest. They need a way to get back and forth to work, and that requires fossil fuels. And as Tom Friedman said, over 80% of the world still runs on fossil fuels. We're not going to change that anytime soon. And by the way, for those of you who can't afford the electric car, good luck when the battery stops working and you have to replace it. It's a major expense that, again, a lot of people in the middle class can't afford. They'd rather get the $5,000 beater used car than try to replace it. 